Beardown Bears fans, we're still here. Yes, we're still here. We're not going anywhere. We will continue to cover the Bears, unlike the Bears who continue to cover nobody. Uh, Pat the Designer, Courtney Cronin in the building. It's bad, Courtney. It's really, really bad right now. We want to hit on, you know, kind of where we're at with this coaching staff. Do the players believe in them? A lot of us saw the article as well about possibly cleaning house. I don't know if we're there, but maybe we need to start looking at Kevin Warren for some answers. You brought us such an interesting topic on the Bears cycle from a tweet we saw. So we'll talk about that as well. And then Darnell right over Jalen Carter, how we feel about that. All that more in today's episode of the Chicago Bears podcast. Let's jump right in. Hit the like button. Subscribe to the page. This episode brought to you by the Hard Rock Casino, Northern Indiana. Courtney, how are you? I'm good. I think that it's nice to come back and know that you, know, you don't have to go on the road this weekend. And you get to see how this team fares against another really not so good team right now in the Denver Broncos. Like, it's weird that you're in this spot, but that's a measuring stick game to be like, all right, just how far have the bears fallen? How much have they taken a step back by facing a team that gave up 70 points last yeah. week to the Miami dolphins? And yes, this may be the best offense we've ever seen. They did that without Jalen Waddle, who was in the concussion protocol, but they still gave up 70 points. So whether this game actually becomes super interesting because it's yeah. two not so great teams going at it and who's worse than the other bad team, I guess that's what we're looking at here in week four. But my goodness, I mean, four weeks in, not even a full quarter of the season officially, and we're already talking about next year. We're already talking about draft positioning. We're talking yeah. about Caleb Williams. It's I definitely want to like pump the brakes a little bit, but there's a lot we have to unpack still about the direction this team's going and some areas I think that haven't been talked about nearly as much as the quarterback in his regression. Yeah, let's start it off here because I, I want to bring out, right, how does this team – how much does this team really trust the coaching staff that's in place? And I'm talking about on both sides, right? Because in mm -hmm. week three, we got to see the second week of Matt Eberflus, not only being the head coach, but being the play caller on defense through three weeks. He's now called it, uh, the defense for two weeks of the season. This is what we've seen. Uh, Bears rank 31st in points allowed per game, 35.3. Uh, Bears defense ranks 29th in uh, yards allowed per game, 407. Passing yards allowed per game, 29th, 285. Rushing yards allowed per game, 19th. Moving in the right direction, maybe. 121. Uh, third down conversion, 32nd. Teams are completing 60% of their third downs. Most of these are third and eights, by the way. Yeah. Uh, in sacks, we rank 32nd. Which one was your favorite? There's only one to choose from. There's the unique and Gakwe one. That's, <laughs> yeah. It's so bad. And I asked this question, right? The principles I've asked about a couple of times, the hits principle, does this team really believe in it? Because it seems as though a defense, even with as bad as we've seen offenses in Chicago, we've seen the defense buy into what the coaches have talked about here. When mm -hmm. Lovey Smith was here, they bought in. They they fought for Lovey. They did everything they could. We're not seeing that here. Does this team really believe in the coaching staff that's in place? 
the hits principle itself. I remember thinking this last year when Eberflus gets hired and we had heard a little bit about this in Indianapolis when he was a defensive coordinator there, that there was this acronym that he lived by and that his players bought into. And even in Indianapolis, the last couple of years, that's been a bad football team and a team yeah. that has had coaching changes and quarterback changes and a lot of turmoil. They still maintained some sense of normalcy and stability and stasis on the defensive side of the ball. And you can look at Matt Eberflus and what he installed there, his system, having more talented players. All those things played out into this hits principle concept, becoming something that they lived by. A defense predicated off of turnovers. And then, of course, all the other elements you see, the hustle intensity uh, and then playing smart is the end point of hits principle on top of takeaways. But like the number, the T in hits principle, the number (laughs) one thing you can actually judge it by is non-existent in Chicago. Their first takeaway, their first turnover, whatever you want to call it, that was in the third quarter when Jack Sanborn, you know, picked off. Who who was even playing at that point? Was it uh, Blaine Gabbert? Blaine Gabbert. It was definitely not Patrick Mahomes. Um, I thought thought we had a Jaguars game break out in the middle. Yeah, like that's... (laughs) For that, I remember asking Jaquan Brisker about that after the game. Like, are you a little surprised that the first interception for this defense came three games in, almost two and a half full games in the books? Like, the third quarter of this game. Like, I just, I'm so, like, miffed by that alone. But I remember going back last year to asking Jalen Johnson at the podium during OTAs about the hits principle. And... You know, it sounds kind of college It sounds kind of gimmicky. And what he thought of it, and he said, kind of like reiterating what a lot of guys believe, he was the one to call it out when I said, you know, kind of comes across as this like college football rah-rah thing. He's like, it's 100% that it can be kind of this corny thing, but if you buy into it, yeah. you know, there's clearly something that guys believe in. Now is when you can really gauge whether the hits principle is just going to go out the window with everything else and guys are going to just, you know, kind of rely on what they know and, you know, fall back on their instincts or if this is going to be something that can carry them through this really, really rough stretch of the season because it sounds great when you're winning. These cool, cutesy things like that, you know, these these belief points that the team has where we are all bought in together. We all play, we all hustle, we all play smart. We are we practice based on intensity and that you the defense has a lot of takeaways. When those things don't show up, the is the hits principle null and void, which then plays yeah. into do these players actually believe that the coaches have their best interest at heart and that they're putting players in position to succeed. Yeah, and I think that the the worst part of it all is yes, it's corny, it's cheesy, it's collegey, gimmicky, right? It's 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 Deion Sanders giving speeches at Colorado and it works for those kids. Right. But at the basis of it, you're telling your players to be hustle, to hustle, be intense, get takeaways and play smart. We're not even seeing those simple things that are not corny and cheesy in the NFL. In fact, they're very vital to you being a good defense. And I Mm -hmm. think that, there's some sort of disconnect there because at a minimum, as a defensive coach, the defensive players usually feel like he's going to have our back. We're going to have his. We're going to go out here and fly around on the field. The issue for me with what we saw on Sunday, 
Yes, there's a portion of it where Jaquan Brisker goes out, Tremaine Edmond goes out, Eddie or TJ Edwards, right? Like we we lose a ton of bodies, but I'm not even seeing the backups come in mm-hmm. and display those principles. I'm not even seeing the guys who are trying to show, hey, coach, I can be a, a better player on this team. I can be a number one. So Ralph, I'm not seeing those guys go out there and exude these principles, and that's why I, where I start to look at the coaching staff, and I'm saying there's a disconnect between the message that you're preaching and what your players are putting out on the field. System aside, yeah, it kind of feels like that stretch last season. And I'm just gonna like pick at the defense here from you know the end of this you know live from the bye week on. So. They gave up. It was Philly coming out of the bye week. I just wanted to pull these stats up really quick. So they gave up 112 rushing yards. Okay, it's Philadelphia, eventual you know Super Bowl team. That's fine. Yeah. 254 the week after the Buffalo Bills. 265 to the Detroit Lions, and then 141. Like they were making business decisions at that point. And that's also when they're giving up 300 passing yards, 239, 341 to the Minnesota Vikings and their backups. Like you know. That's effort. That's telling you, like, we care or we don't. And I go back to a quote from Matt Eberflus this past weekend in Kansas City where he was talking about – he was asked about the players. Like, obviously, you think you have talented players. Otherwise, you would not have spent, you know, the kitchen sink on two off-ball linebackers. Like, clearly, you think there's talent there. So, logically, you got to ask about coaching and, like, what the problem is. And he said that – in terms of the scheme they're running, what they're doing, they're charged with putting players in the best position to execute and develop players at the same time. If they're not doing a good enough job of that, then you as a head coach have to take a look at what your coach is. They're supposed to be carrying out your system. Yeah. Maybe the system is broken, and that's me like speaking rhetorically because we know you and I have both talked about this ad nauseum. There's a lot wrong with this defense. There's yeah. a lot wrong with this scheme. And that's on the head coach to determine, you know, the, the, they're going to have the, the easiest place that they can do this would be after the mini buy that they get week five going into week six because they've got Washington on Thursday night football next week. You got to make some changes. You got to do what you did offensively last year between week six and week seven where you used the 10 days in between games to try to fix things because the way that it's being coached right now, there is some massive disconnect that is just not – there's not 53 players who are just like god-awful and the worst (laughs) talent in the NFL. You have 53 players on this roster. You can't tell me that they're all awful and that it's just like the scheme is perfect and they can't carry it out. The best coaches – are the ones who can put ego aside, who can put their system aside and adapt and learn on the fly. It's hard for them too, probably to teach something that you might not be as familiar with. If you've been running the same defense for, I don't know, more than a decade now in the NFL, Yeah, like you have to adjust too, where it's on the coaches to figure out, are we not teaching it correctly? And are there things within the scheme that we can adjust to our player strengths, both on the defensive side of the ball and on the offensive side of the ball? I think the thing is too, right? You say when you said in there, he goes, "I think we." Not that Matt Eberflus said it, but we think that they have good players. This isn't a think thing anymore. I know Tremaine Edmonds is good. Mm-hmm. I've seen it. I know T.J. Evers is good. I've seen it. I know Yannick Ngakwe is elite at what he does. I've seen it, 
And so it, DJ Moore, kind of the same thing. You really can't say that much about the rest of the guys on the offensive side. But like DJ Moore, I know is an elite wide receiver. I look at that and I say, why are they broken with you? It's not to say it's not on the players at all. And I'm not absolving the players of, of the effort that they put in on the field. Because I think through three weeks, we've seen a team that seems basically uh, to, they, that they can't be bothered to go out there and hustle. Uh, the first word in, in, the, in the hits principle. But I know that these players have talent. What's going on that makes you not able to utilize that talent? And I wonder, here's something that, I don't know if I can put this on Justin, but is there a leader in the locker room that's just not buying in that makes the rest of the team go, eh? Because I saw Justin at the end of that game. We see him go through. Bears get obliterated, right? And he's shaking hands with everybody, and everybody's still right there. They look like uh, we'll get it together. We got it. Don't worry about Mm -hmm. it, Justin. We're here. But when I see Justin on the field, I'm like, this ain't that, that don't even look like hits principle to me. That doesn't look intense. That how you drop back all of that. Is there a lack of leadership from the player side of things as well or a lack of buying in from the leaders on the player side of things that maybe is leading to what we're seeing on the field? I noticed something four minutes and 20 seconds to go in the game. The offense was out there. And this is after, remember, Fields came back in from you know, looking pretty woozy. I was surprised. Yeah. And I don't know, Matt Eberflus kind of took exception to that question when I asked him about that and then followed up yesterday. Like, look, we did nothing wrong. Like, we, you know, he's all cleared, like whatever. Yeah. There was some weird, you're like reading between the lines there of maybe regretting that decision, even though he came out healthy. Um, but anyways, Fields was in the game and the entire defense is sitting on the bench. And usually like, you know, I get it. Human nature ends up taking over in a lot of situations. Guys, when you're getting your ass kicked, it's really difficult to stay completely locked in. And this wasn't just an ass kicking. It was a colossal one because they were down 38 at this point. (laughs) And the entire defense, I'm looking at them across the field from the press box. They just looked dejected. The body language told you, can we just get this thing over with? Can they just run the ball at this point? And to be fair, when the defense was back out on the field in the final, you know, couple of minutes of that game, the offense was all sitting on the, their sideline too. Yeah, I, I'm not at all saying it's offense versus defense, and they think one thing or the other, but just like that collective, like resignation to the fact that this is a long, long journey that they're on, and one that is not going to be easy. Like literally, no part of this. Even things that should be further along, like it's like the everything is a calculus test at this point for this team that they just can't even, all they can do is write their name on the paper and that's all they know right now. It's yeah. really difficult. And so I, you got like the lot, the leaders in this locker room are the guys that we know are cornerstones of this team. Justin Fields right now, we don't know if he's a long-term cornerstone of this team. He certainly doesn't look like it, but he's the guy that guys will follow and no one's ever yeah. going to question him in that sense. But then who else is it? Is it Jalen Johnson? Is it, you know, on the offensive side of the ball, DJ Moore is not a vocal leader. That is not who he is, but he is a lead by example guy. When you don't even get him in position to lead by example, yeah. what do guys have to look at? I mean, Cole Komet is still going to be one of the faces of this team, but there's just not that sense in there where you have guys that are like, have somebody that's like, all right, just, just stick with me. We're going to get through this. We're going to get yeah. to the other side of this. Like you it feels like a lot of this. And I remember asking a couple of players about this and 
I asked Komet, I was like, do you feel like this team is lost right now? And he said he didn't want to use the word lost, but it was a situation where he felt like this team had a lot to like, you know, a lot to get through. And even Eberflu said the other day when he was asked about like how this locker room responded to the Alan Williams thing last week and sticking together, he said yeah. that this locker room was, was t- tight before and they've really got to be tight now because this is the batten down the hatches sort of moment for the bears because the wheels are off. And now yeah. it's like the thing's going to tip over and everybody's going to fall out if they're not, you know, if there's not some sort of foundation that they can hold on to, because when you are in a losing situation like this and the writing is on the wall, players may be insulated from things, Pat, but they also know coaching staff. If this thing continues on that entire group is probably out of there next year yeah. that they as players might not be there either. If you're in a situation like a Jalen Johnson, it's a contract year and maybe you don't want to be here anyways. I don't know. He's never given us any indication to think that he doesn't want to. I don't know if his opinion would change because of what's going on with right now, but players who are fighting for getting paid and getting second contracts, like <laughs> If 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 things don't turn around, there's going to be a lot of dreams that go out the window here, not just from people who were hired to guide the direction of this place, but the players who are tasked with carrying out those very directives. And it's it, it could go very south very quickly. And I know what the Bears have been saying, that they're a very tight team, that they are all unified in this. But we have seen this play out before where guys say that, but behind the scenes, things are coming apart at the seams. You can even look at it last year. I pull up that example in my brain right now of I think it was Justin Jones and and Dominique Robinson who talked about the D line room that at one point last year, it was just so far gone that you had guys who didn't want to be there and you want to be around players who want to be there, but it's difficult when things are going so poorly and nobody feels like they have direction. They've got to find direction pretty quickly. Otherwise you're headed for a repeat of that this season. I think that brings on this question, and let's jump in the second quarter. Brought to you by the Hard Rock Casino, Northern Indiana. You can still see John Mulaney and P. Davidson at Hard Rock Live Friday, October 6th. Tickets are on sale now at Ticketmaster.com. The real question I think uh, a lot of Bears fans are wondering is, when do we go to the adult in the room, right? This feels like the 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 kids running the playpen at this point. Uh, and it seems like the adult in the room should be Kevin Warren. When do we start to look to Kevin Warren for some answers on this team? Or is this just kind of one of those things that it's all going to play out through the season and then Kevin Warren's going to bring down the hammer? You know, Kevin got here in January and the first thing that was supposed to be already handled by now, or at least we were supposed to have more clarity on, was the stadium. Like by the six months in, he was saying that we should have had some answers. And this is going back to January last year. They're running into roadblocks with that. So that was supposed to be his major thing on his plate for year one. And then having a chance to evaluate what the team, how the team operates, the people making the decisions from the coaching staff to front office and the overall direction of the team before stepping in and saying, let's change this. Let's keep this the same. Let's alter this. Let's move these people out of their roles and bring yeah. these people in. Would that, would that get expedited based on how bad things get here? And if the bears become a laughing stock nationally, honestly, I don't know because you can't, it's really difficult to bring people in mid season, which is why yeah. when people are like, fire the coaching staff, fire flu, it's not that. realistic. Who, who are you going to bring in to do those yeah. jobs? You can promote from within, but those people probably aren't staying around for next season. And um, I just, I think it's a, it's a situation where Kevin 
is going to make a very calculated decision here to watch this thing play out to see like now's your chance if you want to impress this person who yeah. is one of the most powerful men in sports and has built winning organizations as a as a president and ceo and you know been with in minnesota been with the rams um certainly with the big 10 like now's your chance to show I'm vital to staying around beyond the 2023 season because I help the turnaround. I help keep this thing yeah. stable when there was no stability. Like, so I don't think Kevin Warren's somebody who is going to step in right now and just start firing people. If like this losing streak goes from 13 games to 20 games, but he's watching like, make no mistake about it. There might not be any moves, at least at the reactionary ones right now. But it wouldn't a, it wouldn't surprise me if like there was a lesser move, like a coordinator change at some point, even though they've already lost a coordinator. But as far as head coach and all those things, I it usually has to be something like so terrible that yeah. it uh, like the kind of like the Titan situation last year when they fired their GM in season. Yeah, and I don't even think that you know I'm I'm expecting that. It's just one of those things of right okay, what are you going to do to help right this ship? And I get it, right? Mm -hmm. The number one thing on his on his uh, uh, plate right now is the stadium. But realistically, I didn't bring he you here to be Ted Phillips if I'm George. And that, that's how I'm looking at it, right? And mm -hmm. I think that that's the biggest difference for Bears fans out there who are like, it's the same. We're going to be down the same. No, we're not. Like, I can guarantee you this. Kevin Warren's not going to let us go down the same path as long as the McCaskies don't, like, step in and, and hit us with, you know, he's he we we like this guy, we like the setup that he has, blah, 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 and kind of meddle in that area. This is not a Ted Phillips situation where he's back there making sure that every penny is counted. This is a real leader in football who has been a part of real successful moments in football. So I would not I think that this season may turn into whatever it's going to turn into. I would like to hear a little bit from him to say, hey, you know. Is there something you can do to help? Is there some direction you can give these guys? But realistically, I don't expect this to last very long, knowing how Kevin Warren is. Not saying an in-season change is coming, but if this continues, we'll be talking about new people in the building next year. And you don't want to be reactionary to uh, an 0-3 start. Yes, I know the losing streak from last year makes it 13 straight games, but... Yeah. You know, even in my crisis communication mind that I'm trying to put on right now, it would feel very reactionary to yeah. jump out in front of this. Like, you don't want to undermine the general manager of this football team who reports to you. You are his boss. Ryan Poles coming out last week, addressing the Justin Field situation, giving us a little bit on Alan Williams, but not much, but like just addressing the chaos, yeah. excuse me, that this team went through last week. Like, that was his chance to show. Kevin Warren, how he handles the building when it's proverbially on fire. Yeah. Like, I think it would have been, I think it would have been Kevin, you know, it would have been a bad look had Kevin Warren in a, like in a way, obviously he's working behind the scenes. The guy has been through, you know, look at the crisis that they went through with the big 10 with canceling the season oh, yeah. during the COVID year. And then having to like walk that back. He's yeah. been through these things before, but, I, I just think it was a smart play for him. Like, let his general manager handle it. It's his football team. He's been here longer. He knows, you know, he knows kind of what he wants to do and what his vision is before, like, it would almost be, and I, I'm trying to find another word on the fly. Like, you don't want to, like, emasculate the situation and be like, you know, kind of You don't want to undermine him. You don't want to undermine him. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, 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 I get that. I just, 
I don't know. I guess we're all looking for answers on this, right? And so it's just like, all right, Ryan doesn't seem to have any. Flus definitely doesn't seem to have any. Maybe Kevin does. But it's the one thing with all of this that, again, I reiterate this to Bears fans. This is not the same path we are going down. You will see if this continues the way that it does, and I'm not calling for this. I'm not saying that people's jobs need to be on the line. But the reality of football is you finally have somebody in there who's a real football mind. Mm-hmm. who's made real football executive decisions. And he's just taking all of this in and waiting to see what the final results are. There will be changes if this continues. And I think, right, even the difference that Bears fans probably aren't used to is even if there is success, because of how that success may look, there still could be changes that yeah, come into course. play with this no, team. Of course. And that's, that's why I think Kevin Warren is not quick to jump into, wow, the building's on fire. Like let's fire everybody yeah. because then what are your alternatives? You still have to get through 14 more games and then make a decision. Yeah. Like you, I just, I don't think that he's not somebody who's reactionary and just yeah. like quick to pull the plug on things. And I know people go back and say, well, what about the COVID season at the big 10? I think that was a massive learning experience for him in the highest role he had had at that point of his career as a commissioner yeah. of the big 10 to understand doing things differently, to understand making sure you have everything, all the possible information, even in situations that feel like, you know, there's a lot of unknowns. There's a lot of unknowns with this team. We don't know how this team's going to climb out of an 0-3 hole or when the losing streak's going to stop. We don't know yeah. how Justin Fields is going to respond. We don't even know if he's the answer at the position. Right now, he doesn't look like it, but this all feeds into, from Kevin Warren on down, this team cannot afford to make rash decisions because once you make a stark decision that only has one outcome or, like, one or zero, yeah. benching Justin Fields, for example, because I... I've seen that conversation play out a lot of yeah, different places. Like it's you, it's the nuclear option. And this is not <laughs> a team that can afford to make those sorts of moves, whether it's coaching staff, whether it's decisions about personnel, whether it's anything, because going the other way, like you have to make sure you are dead set. And Kevin Warren's part of that on whatever it is, you stick with it, you live with it. And it ends yeah. up being, the right decision down the road and not one that you look back and say, man, I wish we could have done that one differently because they can't afford to have any do-overs in that sense. No. And and I think the main thing with all of that is right. Once you make that decision, you're stuck. Mm-hmm. You you can't go back to Justin. You're, you're out. No, of he, he, would, he, he would request a trade at that point. I have no doubt in my mind about that. He would not be on this team much longer. Let's jump in because I think that that is such a key topic to transition with here because you talk about the cycle that we've seen Mm -hmm. and this tweet was so elite you brought this to my attention when we jumped on shout out to just him fields the bears underscore 26 mark trestman got fired we were left with cutler hired fox fox wanted a new qb we go get trubisky fox got fired hired naggy naggy wanted a new qb we go get fields naggy gets fired hired eberflus you are here (laughs) matt wanted a new qb who do we get? Matt Eberflus get fired. Who gets hired? I think that this is an elite way to talk about the Chicago Bears football team. Now, there's some nuance in there, but at the end of the day, this is the Bears cycle. Mm-hmm. How do we end it, Courtney? Yeah, it's like reading that. And so a couple of people sent me that yesterday. Like it just, it shows you how many times this team has stopped, start, stop, start, stop, yeah. start with 
organizational changes in terms of coaching, in terms of general managers, and then with the quarterbacks. And it's hard to get it right. I think that people need to like, let's use the Jets for an example here, because I keep hearing about this. And we talked about this on Around the Horn today. Like Joe Namath coming out and saying, like, get rid of, uh, you know, Zach Wilson. I don't think yeah. they should keep him. Okay, nobody's saying long term they think they should keep him. But, like, you can't just get rid of him now. You can't just make – You let go st- of Mike White. You can't make stark changes in season. Like, there's windows for this. And I think with the Bears, like, the situation that they find themselves in right now – like and this is and who knows how it's going to play out. It doesn't look like the coaching is very good, and that this team is being you know put in the best to, best position to succeed. And it also doesn't look like the quarterback is very good either, and that he's the answer at the position. All right, so let's say like fans who really want this to hit the reset button get to do it right now. What would the realistic like way to do that would be? Use your number one overall pick because right now they're in position. I'll be fighting with Arizona. I mean, Arizona beat uh, Dallas. I understand that. But, like, there's some weird things that happen in September anyways. Like, the Bears will be in position, let's say, get Caleb Williams, and they can go out and get a head coach. Well, what do you want the head coach to be? You want the head coach to be an offensive-minded head coach. But there's no way to guarantee that that's going to succeed. The Bears had that with Mitchell Trubisky. When John Fox gets fired, okay, bring in Matt Nagy, somebody who had been with Patrick Mahomes, somebody who can run this system. And now you've got – a quarterback who showed no signs of improvement beyond that first year actually showed very similar signs of regression to what we're seeing from Justin right now. So it's hard when you really don't have the time. And I know that Ryan polls given the vote of confidence from the McCaskies of a long-term rebuild. Well, now you're starting to see like how long a long-term rebuild could be. That could be like three years at the very most before you have to, you have to pull the plug and like start over, which if you can't get past, for the first level above the ground floor, that's where this team is consistently building. All right, nope, move on. Whether it's at the quarterback position, whether it's at the head coach position, and or the front office too. But it's a tough spot to be in because you can see how this thing is going to play out if yep. they continue to lose games, which would be a new coaching staff. And typically, anytime you have a coaching staff that either you have an offensive-minded head coach the course correct the next time around is to, unless you have like a young quarterback that you're trying to develop, it's usually, are you an offensive head coach who gets fired, then go hire a defensive head coach. That's exactly what happened going from Matt Nagy to Matt Eberflus. Um, But it's, it's a scary, when you see it laid out like that, that shows you like kind of how difficult this has been. And Bears fans have lived through this, but to get it right, to have it all time up all at once, like that's, that is a very, very challenging proposition here that they've just failed at time and again. Yeah, it, and I think the thing is too, right? Like now you're in a situation where you got to go. You, you're not only talking about going to find the offensive mind; you're talking about going to find the offensive play caller. That all mm-hmm. of a sudden, in one season, if you do this again, makes Justin Field. You're, you're hoping for the Mike McDaniel situation, right? Tua was terrible. Everybody knew he was terrible. Nobody believed in him. Mike McDaniel shows up. He's like, nah, I can fix that. And he fixed it. And now they're beating teams 70 to 20, which is insane. But that's the situation that you're hoping for if you make a change here. But that's just flip-flopping it again, right? It's just, okay, we go, say we go get Ben Johnson to be the next head coach, or you go get Eric Bieniemy to be the next head coach, right? And it's, 
all of a sudden there's this vote of confidence. Maybe the offense hits for a year. I actually think that how Ryan Poles is going about this is the right way. Now, maybe Flus is the guy. Maybe he isn't the guy. I hope that he is the guy. I hope that he sticks around because I really do like Flus. I just want to see him do more with my football team. But I think the thing is that you have to build this team so that it, it can insulate these issues. The one thing I look at with San Francisco is all the players are there. You got the right system. You can swap whatever quarterback you want in there. Mm-hmm. And now things start to work. That's the goal that the Chicago Bears are trying to achieve here. And that's why I think, right, like when you're talking about this Bears cycle, there may be one more shift that continues in this cycle. But you have to have the players on the field no matter what to make the right play. And I want I like that at a minimum, Ryan Poles is focusing on, okay, we got to go out and get these players. We've got to build through the draft. It's not reactionary like we saw from Ryan Pace, like we've seen before of, I have to make a huge trade and go get the big fish to fix all of this. Well, you got to look at his track record too. Like right now, it's not looking great in terms of those big name acquisitions and ones yeah. that didn't work out. Like he, his first major move is trading Khalil Mack. And I understand like why he did that at the time. And it signaled the roster tear down. It signaled that everything from there on out would end up being, you know, skewed towards the quarterback, but like, you know, everything else in there too, whether it's, you know, from Larry Ogunjobi to yeah. guaranteeing, you know, picking up all those guarantees for Alex Leatherwood, you know, PJ Walker, uh, if Chase Claypool doesn't work out, if Darnell Wright, like, of course, yeah. like we said this during the draft that Darnell Wright sandwiched in between Jalen Carter and Peter Skaronsky is going to always keep we're, it's you're always going to be looking at how the guy did ahead of you and how the guy the pick you could have had and yeah. that's the only reason that one comes into play because they traded back from nine to ten um you're always going to be judging what your pick did in comparison to those guys and polls right now really can't afford I think in a lot of ways to to have any more of those things add up to where people can point out, Hey, how did that one work out? This one didn't work out so well. And you're never going to bat a thousand. Like no one's ever saying that, like you can't make mistakes and personnel mistakes and the best GMs and the best personnel people are the ones who can own those things, which he has, but that still doesn't mean that those things don't add up. And that isn't, you know, sitting there staring at you of not getting things right when you're trying to build this thing and get it off the ground. Yeah, I, I just and and I think that that's a great transition there too, right? The, because I want to talk about this in the fourth quarter because it's the biggest conversation around the Bears right now, right? Which is Darnell Wright mm-hmm. over Jalen Carter making that trade back, not taking him. Jalen Carter has been an absolute monster. Darnell Wright's been okay, right? He looks like a rookie right tackle. He's got his misses. He's got his moments where you're like, Jesus, he killed that guy. And I think that that's the part where Bears fans are like, well, this guy looks elite. And absolutely fixes your defense versus this guy looks okay right now. And you're hoping Mm -hmm. that he's going to continue to get better. I'm okay with the decision on that, at least me personally, because you understood that you were trying to change what the commitment of this team was. Jalen Carter spells, we're going to be the same team that we've always been our entire life. We're going to go with the defense. We're going to build this thing through the defense Let's go get Jalen Carter. Is he, a, is he a gamble? Of course he's a gamble. We don't know what the heck's going on. We don't even know if he's going to play at the beginning of the year, and then everything kind of gets worked out and you know shoved under a rug. And all of a sudden, he's out there, and he's dominating. Love it. But it doesn't change the fact that the Bears 
are light years behind what Philly's doing. Philly already had the offense. They didn't need to go get a right tackle. You're trying to get there offensively. And I think that's the part where a lot of fans look at Darnell right over Jalen Carter. And like you said, they're always going to be tied together. Skaransky as well. Is that the right move? Where are you at on that decision right now? Look, like I've said this a, a lot and I'll say it again. You cannot fault Ryan Poles for trading back from nine to 10. And yes, we will look at if Jalen Carter goes on and has an incredible career, there will always be buyer's remorse, but he yeah. was not ever in the situation to take a gamble on somebody who was involved in a situation that claimed the lives of two people yeah. due to speeding and drinking and all of those things. And of course, besides that, which is a massive thing you have to consider, there was him showing up 20 pounds overweight to his pro day at Georgia, looking awful. Yeah. And his coach is not vouching for him from Georgia. There were so many red flags with this that there was only one or two general managers in this league that had the leash that was long enough to be able to take a flyer on a guy like that. And really yeah. only one team, a team that is built on its defensive line from the inside out, the Philadelphia Eagles, four players last year at 10 plus sacks team at 70 as a whole, like they had the infrastructure to insulate him, to let him go through a rookie season where he didn't have to be perfect. And yeah, I know we saw him, uh, you know, force two fumbles last night. He's looked like a monster out there in a good way, but the bears did not have the setup for him. And I also question, like, I know he's a game wrecker and he's naturally incredibly talented and athletic and all these things. Do we think that this iteration of Jalen Carter in Philadelphia who's also playing along Brandon Graham alongside yeah. Brandon Graham, Fletcher Cox. Like, do we think, <laughs> do we think that it would have been the same here and that he would have changed like his, like, you know, his replacement wins above replacement stat, like looking at him, like specifically that they would have changed the fate of this defense all that much. I don't think so. Yeah. I think that the coaching factors into that too. Like, do we know if this defense actually works in Chicago? Because we sure as hell haven't seen it on the field. They have one sack in three games. I don't know if it would have been such a stark change to Chicago's fate, if they would have taken Jalen Carter at nine and not taken J uh, Darnell Wright at 10. But what I do know is that they were not ever in position to do that. The optics of it for a general manager who has not won anything, who was, you know, at that point, not even two full years into his job yet. Like there was no way there was no way. And it's a, it's a convenient, fun talking point to play this thing out five years and see how well, the draft picks that either team and the one after them, the Tennessee Titans, how well those guys panned out. But for right now, Bears fans can watch Monday Night Football and watch Jalen Carter do what he does and say, okay, that's great. It never would have worked here for a multitude of reasons. Yeah, I just, I don't know what it would have been, but I think the one thing for me is whether Justin Fields is the answer or not, your offensive line is going to be there. The offensive line that you're trying to put together is yeah. going to Braxton Jones will be there. Look at uh, how Detroit uh, did it. They built that thing like before Matthew, you know, during Matthew Stafford, and they've been building it after Matthew Stafford. Yeah. And so I think that's the number one that I want Justin to be the answer here. I believe that he has the talent. I believe that the players on his team think that he has enough of the talent. And that's why they follow him so closely. That's why he is the leader in this locker room. But there's so much that goes into, okay, you may be the guy, but if you're not, guess what? The next guy, the next rookie guy that probably is going to end up coming in there, if he's not the guy, 
still needs that same protection. And you can't just keep putting off building a real offensive line. We talk about why the uh, um, Bailey Zappies or the uh, Brock Purdy is able to come in and all of a sudden have production. Why can't we have he- that here? It's because they can they get to sit back there and actually have time to make decisions. Yeah, I think the part that sucks the most is right when you look at a Nate Davis right now, when you're looking at a Darnell Wright, you see Braxton Jones on IR, Tevin Jenkins on IR, Cody Whitehair basically being a turnstile at left guard, uh, Lucas Patrick falling over his own feet, looking like doing his best impersonation of Sam Mustafer out there. You start to look at, okay, yes, I see these things that are in place and I see how many of them aren't working. Yeah. And I get, I give you that, but I can't, fault Ryan Poles for saying no matter what happens here, we have to have an offensive line in front of a quarterback, no matter who the quarterback is. No, and it's a smart play. You get the one position you cannot negate because everybody is always searching for great offensive linemen and you should be able to look at how much other teams Ryan Poles said this on our pregame show with Jeff Joniak. A lot of teams are struggling right now with pass protection. There was a stat from PFF uh, today just pointing to how difficult it is. I don't believe that you know, both offensive lines for both lines for Tampa last night did not grade out very well. Um, and I'm trying to find the stat because there's not, there really haven't been that many successful offensive lines so far this season. Oh, it's been bad. And, <laughs> you know, and like the thing that like should not surprise people is that this is not just like some trend of this year. It just shows you how difficult it is to build this thing. And like, you know, Dallas was missing multiple offensive linemen from their game the other day. Here it is yeah. from Bra- Brad Spielberger from PFF. Through week three, there's only one interior offensive line with a unit grade of at least 70, and that's the Detroit Lions, which we know. It's making your point, Pat. Like, they started building that thing in 2016. Like, the 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 adjustments that defenses are making and putting so much emphasis on rushing the passer, that's why you're seeing this thing skewed where a lot of teams right now are, are dealing with, you know, issues along their offensive line and being unable to protect their quarterbacks. But – you can't neglect that regardless of whether Justin Fields or any other quarterback is back there. You have to make no. sure that you're doing that in spite of everything else going on around you. Yeah, I, 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 I believe in how Ryan Poles is trying to build this team now, whether that happens successfully or not, right? That's always the question. But I like what he's trying to do at a minimum. And yeah, does that mean that we've had some neglect, uh, neglected uh, spots on the defensive side of the ball? 100%. The defensive line is basically non-existent. But again, I go back to when I look on the defensive end, Lance Briggs said this week one, and he's kind of said it every week here. It's just like, where's the hustle? Where's the fight? Where's the want to? Where's the? And Mm -hmm. and that's why we go back to that first topic of, hey, do these guys believe in floose? There's so many question marks on this team. I don't think that we'll have any answers uh, for a while here. Uh, but we do got some questions from the fans out there. They love getting the uh, the insight uh, from Courtney Crone. I think this is a good one here from Bear Season. Shout out to Bear Season tweeting in. Says, looking at Chicago's next four games, how confident are you that they can salvage the season and get back on track? Salvage the season and you know, turning this thing around and all of a sudden becoming a winning team are two very different things. I know this question was very pointed, salvage the season, get back on track. Like, let's go back to what my original prediction was for this team, that seven, eight wins at most is, is probably where the ceiling should be on a team that is definitely 
a year away, but right now feels like it might be a couple years away based on three, three games in 2020. I covered the Minnesota Vikings and that was Justin Jefferson's rookie year. Kirk cousins was in his third season as the quarterback there. Um, the defense still had a lot of star power. They ended up trading for unique and Gakwe because they thought, okay, we're going to run this thing through. We might be pretty good. They start out one and five. Bye week hits. They trade in Gakwe. They put Daniel Hunter, their other pass rusher on injured reserve because he had this strange neck tweak that ended up like kind of becoming a major storyline all season. Yeah. It just popped up one day in practice. Um, and they end up trying to contend for the playoffs that year. I believe it was the Bears who actually late that season put them out of playoff contention. It was the game up at, at US Bank Stadium. But there was not all hope lost after a one and five start. Now with this iteration of the bears and an zero and three start, and then you look at the schedule, you can find, this is still difficult. You can find wins on here. Like as much as we kind of joke about Denver giving up 70 points and that game yeah. being like such an, you know, such an insane, like finish. How the for heck them did last you week. do that? They play Denver this week at home. I know that they're three point underdogs right now. And that kind of tells you how Vegas feels about the bears, but that should be a game they're competitive in. Washington just came fell back down to earth after facing a legitimate <laughs> team. Not Denver, but they faced a really good team last week against Buffalo. That's right after them. Minnesota's also 0-3 right now, coming in yeah. week six. Like there are games on here that they should, even if they don't win, they should be competitive in. So to get the season back on track would be facing your next four teams, Vegas included in that, and coming away from that at two and two three and one, they're not going to sweep, but like that should be a realistic expectation. If you truly believe what you're being sold from the staff, that they are a well-coached team and that the coaches can make these changes, that the talent is there. Now, if you don't believe that, then you think that the seat, you can throw the towel in, which I understand at this point, because they have not shown you anything to believe in, especially yeah. going from like one week to we knew Kansas city was going to be an uphill battle. I no, knew that was no, but nobody, nobody in their right mind, except the the little boy I sat next to on the plane going down to Arrowhead. I asked him what his score prediction was, and he told me 37-20. And I told him, wow, the Bears, if they scored 37 points, it'd be the first time since 20... When's the last time he did that? 2021? Oh. 2020? No, it's been a while. Like, you get the point. Um, oh, Mitch Tampa, maybe? Yeah, like, that's what I... That was 2020, like, right? Like, 2019? Anyways, like... Nobody thought they were going to go down to Kansas City and win. But now people do think, like, realistically, I know that, they, you know, the sky's falling and everything sucks right now in Chicago, but they should beat Denver. But you can't really, like, hang your head on anything until they show it to you because yeah. this team has not looked prepared. And when they get out there, it looks like the same story on repeat, drive after drive on offense. And then on defense, they just look completely overmatched where – until you see them get win number one and snap this losing streak, I think it's fair to not buy in because, you know, getting the season back on track could mean, okay, what position are you putting yourselves in to get yourself set up for next year? But God, that's tough because it feels like you're hitting restart two years into this thing after you just did it. Yeah. Last time bears scored 37 plus points was 12 27 2020 versus the Jacksonville Jaguars. They won that game 41 to 17. Wow. That wow. is uh that is not good. And here's the interesting part, right? They've scored 30 points four times since then. They've won one of those games. <laughs> 
So again, we're asking questions about this defense here. Uh, shout out to Chicago Sun Times, always chiming in with a question. Said, at what point do we have to say that the season is over? Could that be a loss this week? Look, if you start zero and four, I mean, there's no chance. Like, let me back up. I don't. I never thought this team was going to be a playoff team. But if you yeah. start zero and four, like that is like the easiest way to write that off. And maybe fans need that to kind of come back to reality. But I think most fans are already there. It's hard, like, when the losing streak is now in double digits and it's been in double digits, like, if you can't see the light at the end of the tunnel, because if they lose to Denver, it's kind of like flipping my argument I just made of, okay, if they lose to Denver, God, they're going to lose to Washington, they're going to lose to Minnesota, (laughs) they're going to lose to the Raiders. Who can you beat? Yeah, that's that's it. That's it yeah. right there. Like, because if you yeah. lose to like one of the worst teams in football after coming off playing one of the best teams in football, then who can you beat? And yeah. you know, that's I have. I go back to twenty twenty. I mean, that one felt over from the from like you know the first five six weeks into the season. But for a young team like this and a coaching staff that more or less just got here, same with the front office staff, you can't afford to have this thing completely shut down more or less and like giving up on the season by the halfway point here. I I did this exercise last week after the um, Tampa Bay game. Like, all right, if this thing really, if Justin is not the guy, if, it, if you, like you have, if you have to find a window for a quarterback change, which again, nuclear option, I don't think that they do it anytime soon. I don't, they certainly do not want to do that. What's your window. Okay. Well, you look at the bye week bye weeks in week 13, not a great time for this yeah. team for reset and for anything like that. It would have to be after the Carolina game, which is that Thursday night game at soldier field in week nine. Um, I still think that would be a very difficult move for them to pull off, but you've got to be looking. If, if this thing continues on with a lot of losses, you've got to be looking at where they have breaks in the schedule to either try to do something different or try to make personnel changes. I think at that point we'll, we'll have uh, what I would like to call full on internal war. Because a lot of times coaches like to save their skin and sh- and show it's not me. Mm-hmm. Uh, if we get to that point, I mean, you're, you're talking about possibly benching fields. I don't think polls will let them bench fields, which will then turn into the full on internal warfare. Let's hope we don't get there, Bears fans. That's what I. That's all I'll say at the end of it. Because if we get to that point, right, I think that uh, you're going to see a full on clean house on one side of the ball, um, and and that's not my hope for this team at all. But hey. We'll see. Uh, We got a lot more to break down here with this Denver team. Uh, We'll continue that throughout the week. Me and J-Mac will be live tomorrow after Matt Eberflew speaks, reacting to uh, his comments and uh, talking about what this team needs to do. There's a lot to go, a lot to a long way to go here, Courtney. There is. We're only three weeks in and uh, (laughs) feels like we're 13 weeks in. I wish we were 13 weeks in. (laughs) I have so much more. Uh, No, but at the end of the day, uh, I do want to say this. Appreciate all of you guys, Courtney, you two for supporting uh, me as I lost my grandfather. Um, That sucked. It was really hard. Um, And it's one of those things where when you got to go, it's weird. Like when you work as much as we do, when somebody's like, no, you need to like take a day and like, actually deal with this to actually mm-hmm. have to do it so i appreciate you guys for supporting me through yesterday um and we're gonna keep moving along we're gonna keep pushing and i'm gonna keep honoring them by continuous success he kind of was like he didn't really understand a lot the last seven months when i would go talk to him and he'd have his moments but he knew four letters espn and when i told him i started working at espn uh he, he just looked at me and smiled so it was really cool to 
be able to accomplish as much as I have while he was alive. And uh, I appreciate everybody for keeping this thing going, man. Um, love you guys. Love all you guys. Everybody who reached out, Waddle, Sylvie, everybody, man. So uh, Carmen, there was so much support. So thank you guys. And uh, that's enough for the emotional part of the show. Y'all stay safe out there, Chicago. Bear done. And uh, let's hope to God we beat Denver because the one thing that made it worse was we got beat 41 to 10. Like, come on. You could have you could have sent them off with a win, Bears. Let's get them done. Y'all stay safe out there, Chicago. Peace.